Hi, it's Amy Siskin of The Weekly List and author of the book, The List, and welcome to episode 111 of The Weekly List Podcast, which accompanies week 194 on The Weekly List website, theweeklylist.org, and corresponds to the week ended August 1st, 2020. Welcome. This week, as we count down to 100 days until the election, Trump, for the first time, publicly floated the idea of delaying our November election, drawing swift condemnation from Democrats and a mild rebuke from Republicans, and a very strong reaction from the co-founder of Conservative Federalist Society, who said in an op-ed that Trump should be removed if he tries to follow through. This week, the coronavirus continued to rage out of control, as reporting indicated that Trump and Kushner had shot down an idea of a national testing approach in order to hide the virus and because they thought it would be politically smart to hurt blue states. Portland continued to be front and center this week. Um, You'll notice on the weekly list uh, for the third week, we've chosen to use a photo from Portland, which usually we don't do, but I'm believing based on what I've been tracking for 194 weeks, that this, like Charlottesville, will be one of the iconic moments of Trump's four years. And this reminds me much of Kent State, where you had the hand of authoritarianism come in, uh, in this case, to make a political statement for Trump's re-election. And we've watched Americans be gassed night after night. And I think this is something, when we look back at history, that will be a turning point, but certainly a dark chapter in the many dark chapters of this Trump regime. This was also one of the longest lists and the hardest to keep up with. There's so much happening. And I think that's not by anything but design, in addition to the stories that I'm covering that should be getting a lot more attention, as we talk about every week. Uh, Trump is trying to distract from the fact that Americans are dying of this coronavirus, that our handling of it in the U.S. is not the worst in the world, certainly among the top 10 worst in the world. Um, And it continues to spread, and Trump's narrative of trying to avoid it and having no strategy is backfiring. So we're going to cover a lot of the stories in that, and just the coronavirus is sort of the background of all that's going on. Uh, And we also had the first sign, a small story that broke at the end of the week about Brazil and Trump asking Brazil for help in the election. I just want you to note, if you've been following this podcast, Ukraine gate broke in a very similar way. It was a story in one weekly list. We talked about it. Uh, Didn't get a lot of attention because there was chaos, not as much chaos as, as this week. We have almost 300 not normal items, but enough chaos back then that it didn't get a lot of attention And then gradually came back and got more attention until we had an impeachment hearing. So pay attention to these stories. A lot of what is in here, historians will be using to trace their way back for what we are living through now. Um, And those of us who are enduring this and those listening decades later to this, this was a scary time in America that um, we're worried about death and starvation and Um, getting sick from this virus that is going on uncontained and has been politicized uh, by the Republican Party and Trump uh, ahead of the election, which is now impacting their own base. And then the authoritarian moves that are getting more um, 
you know, as, as we've talked about, Trump continues to push boundaries, what happens in Portland and all the facts around what's happening in Portland, in addition to him now trying to delegitimize our election. These are the things of authoritarian regimes that we've warned about in this podcast and in the weekly list. So let's start off. Um, on Saturday, the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute demanded that Trump and the Republican National Committee stop raising campaign money by using Reagan's name and likeness. The demand came after the campaign email, after a campaigning email was sent out with a subject line, Ronald Reagan and yours truly, offering, quote, our new Trump-Reagan commemorative coin sets, described as limited production and iconic. On Saturday, Sinclair Broadcasting pulled an edition of its America This Week program, which featured an interview of the maker of Plandemic and claimed that Dr. Anthony Fauci manufactured the coronavirus on Saturday. And that goes into a theme we're going to talk about throughout this week and we've been talking about for weeks where Trump and his allies are seeking to delegitimize and give misinformation about this deadly pandemic. You, which doesn't work, <laughs> which endangers his own people, but it continues. And this you know, Sinclair Broadcasting is another example of that, but we're going to talk a lot about that this week as well. On Saturday, a letter from 10 Senate Democrats, including the two Oregon senators, called on their Appropriations Committee to restrict funding to agencies, quote, infringing upon the constitutional rights of Americans. Later Saturday, the New York Times reported that outrage over federal agents' actions in Portland had fueled new protests in cities where previous protests had ended, including Seattle, Oakland, Los Angeles, Brooklyn, and Austin. Trump has spent $26 million on campaign ads depicting a lawless dystopia of empty police stations with 911 calls going unanswered if Joe Biden is elected as part of, part of his new law and order attempted appeal. On Saturday, Trump ally Senator Tom Cotton told Arkansas Democrat Gazette that the 1619 Project is, quote, a left-wing propaganda and a distortion of American history and referred to slavery as a necessary evil. So, uh, you know, again, this is part of this whole, we, uh, this is an ally of Trump. We've been talking these last few weeks about how Trump is sowing division, this theme about suburbia, about us versus them, which is really... Democrats versus Republicans, but also white people against black people. That's exactly what is happening. We're going to have more stories about that this week. And it's getting more and more blatant and overt. On Sunday, Trump golfed at his Bedminster club. He actively tweeted during the day, tweeting and retweeting more than 60 times on topics from demonizing Portland to mocking face masks to bashing the media. On Sunday, Trump attacked the Reagan Foundation, noting Reagan Foundation's chairman, Frederick Ryan Jr., is the publisher and CEO of Washington Post, and that, quote, Rhino, Paul Ryan, is on the board of Fox. Trump added, Fox News, quote, has been terrible, adding, quote, we will win anyway, even though the phony Fox News suppression polls, which I have been seriously wrong for five, which I've been seriously wrong for five years, all the polls, however, showed Biden uh, way ahead of Trump. So Trump is trying to blame the polls now, including Fox News. On Sunday, Trump also tweeted, quote, the Trump campaign has more enthusiasm in capital letters, according to many, many being unspecified, uh, than any campaign in the history of our great country, adding, quote, Biden has none. It was unclear what he meant by that tweet. 
On Sunday, a small group protested outside the Alexandria, Virginia home of acting Homeland Security Chief Chad Wolf. His neighbors joined in, making Black Lives Matter signs and sending out tables for refreshments. On Sunday, Fox Business host Maria Bartiromo asked Wolf, quote, Why can't you just arrest the leadership in Portland because of them ignoring what is really happening on the ground? He said, We absolutely are doing that. On Sunday, New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham on Face the Nation called Trump sending troops to Albuquerque suspect, noting that they have not sent funding promised for police and crime interventions. On Sunday, White House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow told State of the Union that the, quote, country has got to open, adding, quote, on the whole, the picture is very positive and claimed there would be a V-shaped recovery. On Sunday, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin told reporters a new relief package would give unemployed workers 70% of their wages, saying, quote, we're not going to use taxpayer money to pay people to stay at home. On Sunday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi dubbed Trump as, quote, Mr. Make Matters Worse on Face the Nation, citing Trump's, quote, delay, denial, it's a hoax. It'll go away magically. It's a miracle and all the rest. Shortly after, Trump tweeted, crazy Nancy Pelosi, and I said I made a mistake when I banned people from infected China and repeated the false claim, quote, she danced in the streets of Chinatown in late February. Trump also attacked Fox News again, tweeting, quote, the lamestream media, including Fox News, which has really checked out, is refusing to show what really is going on in Portland, Seattle, and other places. Trump also tweeted, quote, the silent majority will speak on November 3rd. The Washington Post reported researchers and political analysts said hidden voters that helped Trump in 2016 are unlikely to be a big factor in 2020. Trump also again falsely touted a New Jersey fraud case, tweeting, quote, the 2020 election will be totally rigged if mail-in voting is allowed to take place, citing people won't even discuss mail-in election corruption. Trump added, look at Patterson, which he misspelled, New Jersey. 20% of the vote was corrupted. Leaders in Patterson have disavowed what Trump repeatedly claims, saying most of the ballots were rejected because of minor errors, not fraud. Trump also tweeted that the walls of mom who have been defending protesters in Portland are, quote, actually anarchists who hate our country and a, quote, scam that lamestream media refuses to acknowledge. Trump also repeated the false claim, quote, we do more testing than any country in the world, and retreated a false claim that, quote, a Yale epidemiologist has said hydrocoxiquin could save 100,000 lives. On Sunday, Courier-Journal reported in a visit to Kentucky, Dr. Deborah Burke said, quote, we can see what is happening in the South moving north, warning Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio, Indiana, and Virginia could be next. Kentucky's Democratic Governor Andrew Andy Bashar said, quote, I will not let us become Alabama or Florida or Arizona, and said he would announce proactive steps. So you see this real bifurcation of Democrats taking the virus seriously and Republicans trying to diminish it even as it ravishes their states. Later Sunday, Trump golf, uh, Trump, later Sunday, Trump tweeted, quote, because of my strong focus on the China virus, I won't be able to be in New York to throw out the opening pitch for the Yankees on August 15th. 
Notably, Trump has golfed every weekend. So that caught everybody by surprise. On Sunday, AL.com reported after Warrior Creek Missionary Baptist Church in North Alabama had a week-long revival last week. Now 40 of its members, almost the entire church, have tested positive. So again, this bifurcation of some taking it seriously, others not. On Sunday, the San Francisco Chronicle reported a union boss said a group of male passengers assaulted an Asian-American muni bus driver with verbal attacks, racial slurs, and spitting on him. On Sunday, Oregon Public Broadcasting reported several dozen more federal officers were deployed to Portland as protests gained momentum to make additional arrests and amid shifting tactics from use of tear gas. The beefed up presence presence came as federal officials internally acknowledged that they have contributed to a quick escalation between law enforcement and protesters, which had dwindled to a couple hundred people in early July. On Sunday, a Politico reporter shared a photograph of a massive wall installed in front of the south lawn of the White House, including a layer of black barbed fence and a white anti-climb opaque wall. On Monday, the New York Times reported that one hour before Fauci was set to throw the first pitch for the Washington Nationals. Okay, so this is the follow-up. Again, we were all shocked on Sunday that Trump canceled doing the first pitch for the Yankees. Here's the backstory. New York Times reported one hour before Fauci was set to throw the first pitch for the Washington Nationals, Trump was so jealous he announced he would be doing so for the New York Yankees. The announcement in the briefing room left White House aides scrambling because nothing was scheduled. Trump directed his aides to call the Yankees owner and tell him to make good on a longstanding offer. So that's the whole backstory to Trump's non-existent pitch. On Monday, a Gallup poll found 135 countries that were surveyed that the U.S. approval is down to 33%, similar to China at 32% and Russia at 30%. In 2016, the U.S. was at 48%. On Monday, a morning consult poll found disapproval of Trump's handling of the coronavirus had reached a new high of 59% disapprove of his handling, just 36% approve. His overall approval also fell in the poll to 36% approve, 61% disapprove. On Monday, the Washington Post reported Trump advisors and operatives agree the best way for him to regain his political footing is to get control of the coronavirus, or at least pantomime a sense of command and show compassion. Trump has been able to do, unable to do so. People close to him cite his pathological unwillingness to admit error, a positive feedback loop of rosy assessment from Fox News and, ad- and advisors, and Trump's penchant for magical thinking. Aides say Trump has been unable to fully grasp the magnitude of the pandemic and is instead preoccupied with his own grievances and is casting himself as a blameless victim of the crisis. In the past couple of weeks, Trump aides have showed him maps of data spikes in cases among, quote, our people, and the battleground states, Michigan, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, which kept him on script at the briefing last week. However, Trump refuses to take responsibility or admit error. Rather than listen to Fauci, he gets his information from Fox News and conservative media, often often tweeting information about the virus after watching Fox and Friends. So that's the state of where things are. And if you're reading Mary Trump's book, which many of us are, uh, or have read it, it, 
jibes in exactly with her description of him and his inability to say he's wrong, his incompetence, and just his personality disorders. On Monday, CNN reported White House National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien tested a positive for the coronavirus, the highest-ranking official to test positive. It was unclear when he last met in person with Trump. O'Brien recently traveled to Europe, where he met with officials in the UK, France, Germany, and Italy, and was accompanied by Secret Service agents, staffers, and reporters. He did not wear a mask or social distance on that visit. Officials in France were said to be scrambling as O'Brien met with French President Emmanuel Macron's top foreign policy advisor on July 14th. The White House claimed there was no risk of exposure to Trump or Vice President Mike Pence. On Monday, 538 editor-in-chief Nate Silver noted Trump's average approval was down to 39.9%, the lowest since the government shutdown in January 2018, so that's over two and a half years ago. On Monday, the Commission on Presidential Debates announced Notre Dame withdrew as the 2020 presidential debate host, citing the coronavirus. The debate will instead be held at Case Western University. On Monday, Major League Baseball returned to play, returned to play took a troubling turn when the Florida Marlins announced 14 team members, including 12 players and two staffers, had tested positive and their games against Baltimore were suspended. The Marlins remained in Philadelphia, awaiting results of another round of testing. The Yankees game scheduled Monday in Philadelphia, where the Marlins played over the weekend, was also postponed. On Monday, Trump lawyers doubled down on their efforts to prevent Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance from getting Trump's tax records and other financial documents. In a new filing, lawyers argued Vance's subpoena is, quote, harassment of the president and violation of his legal rights, calling it, quote, wildly overboard and, quote, not remotely confined to the grand jury investigation. On Monday, lawmakers said Americans paid their respects, lawmakers and Americans paid their respects to John Lewis, the first black lawmaker to lie in state in the U.S. Capitol Rotunda, a tribute reserved for the most distinguished government officials. On Monday, Trump was asked if he planned to pay his respects to civil rights icon Lewis, Trump said, quote, no, I won't be going. No. Leaders from both parties attended, including Joe Biden. On Monday, AP reported with Trump's poll numbers and ratings for handling the coronavirus falling and the economy faltering, White House officials are pinning their hopes on an October surprise, a vaccine. Trump visited a plant outside Raleigh, North Carolina, that has begun production of the first batch of a possible vaccine, saying, quote, I heard very positive things, and quote, by the end of the year, we think we'll be in very good shape on the vaccine. Trump told reporters the states should reopen, saying, quote, I really do believe that a lot of governors should be opening up. So again, one thing that we are going to be following this week is the message from Trump versus the message from the rest of the White House officials. Trump added, quote, we'll see what happens with them. after he said they should open up. Trump also falsely claimed again on the upcoming election. Quote, we get a lot of suppression polls, adding we get a lot of fake polls, just like when we have fake news. I mean, it's a terrible thing when you look at it. Trump also again cited voters as an example of his hidden voters and a sign of enthusiasm, saying, quote, you have hundreds of votes and they're all waving the Trump sign, the Trump-Pence sign. They're also proud. 
On Monday, Pence visited Florida, where COVID-19 continued to surge, to attend a roundtable at a clinical health research center. Pence also was speaking up on the vaccines, saying, quote, we are moving at a historic pace. Trump praised Governor Ron DeSantis, calling efforts in Florida, quote, a tribute to his professionalism. Pence said schools should reopen, saying, quote, it's best for the kids to get them back to school, even as that state continued to surge. On Tuesday, Florida reported 186 daily deaths, a record, and 9,230 new cases. The state now has over 440,000 confirmed cases, second only to California, having passed New York. Florida still welcomed tourists and allowed most businesses to remain open. But Governor DeSantis says a tribute to his professionalism. On Monday, Fauci told CNN he may have been exposed to the virus at a meeting with O'Brien a week or two ago. He added of COVID-19, quote, this is something we've got to get under better control. On Monday, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp withdrew a request for an emergency court hearing in his lawsuit against Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms over her mandating masks. A hearing was set for Tuesday, and that got canceled. Later Monday, Trump acknowledged his unpopularity on Twitter, tweeting, quote, So disgusting to watch Twitter's so-called trending, where so many trends are about me and never a good one. <laughs> That's finally him starting to understand. There's actually a couple this week of Trump acknowledging how unliked he is, disliked he is. Um, that was the first. Trump blamed it on others, however, tweeting, quote, they look for anything they can find, make it as bad as possible and blow it up, trying to make a trend really ridiculous, illegal, and of course, unfair. On Monday, the Washington Post reported under intense pressure from Trump, Senate Republicans agreed to allocate $1.75 billion in their coronavirus relief bill towards the construction of a new D.C. headquarters for the FBI. At a news conference, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell denied FBI money was in the bill. Pressed by reporters who said it was, he then said, quote, you'll have to ask them, meeting the White House, why they insisted that it be included. Trump wants the headquarters built at the site of the J. Edgar Hoover building to prevent a competing hotel from coming in. Republicans distanced themselves from the provision once it became public, $1.75 billion. Pair that with the story on Tuesday, the Washington Post reported the Senate Republicans' bill will not extend food assistance program called SNAP, despite the rising demand during the pandemic. Roughly 26 million Americans did not have enough food. But we have $1.75 billion for a new headquarters to help Trump's hotel. On Wednesday, asked by reporters about the GOP not wanting to fund the headquarters, Trump said, quote, People have wanted a new FBI building for now for 15 or 20 years, adding, quote, Republicans should go back to school and learn. On Monday, the Washington Post reported, according to an internal email, the Trump regime is deploying a more U.S. Marshal Service agents to Portland, with personnel beginning to arrive Thursday night. The Department of Homeland Security is also considering sending an additional 50 U.S. Customs and Border Protection personnel. If both deployments happen, it would mark a significant expansion over the 114 federal agents there in mid-July. 
The deployment comes as the initial forces did not suppress the crowds, but instead led to larger, better equipped, and more aggressive crowds. And the regime may be losing control of the streets as well as the public debate in Portland. On Monday, Christian Jessie Urenik, a Portland mom who was part of the Wall of Moms, said she was struck in the face by a bullet on Saturday, adding she was transported, quote, through a sea of tear gas to get help. On Monday, Maureen Haley, the chair of the Lewis and Clark College History Department, was shot in the head with a less lethal round by federal officers while protecting, protesting in Portland. She was also sent to the emergency room. On Monday, Trip Jennings, a National Geographic videographer, was shot in the face by impact munition while covering the protests. He said he's covered protests around the world, but this was his first significant injury. On Monday, a viral video showed a federal officer pepper spraying Mike Hasty, a Vietnam War vet, in the face at close range in Portland. Hasty said he did not like what I had to say. So, uh, just, you know, again, some perspective on what is happening in Portland and these images which are circulating on social media of people getting shot in the face, people getting tear gassed. Um, these are the kind of things that if we saw happening in another country, we would be outraged. When this stuff happened in Hong Kong, we were all outraged. It's now happening in a U.S. city. On Monday, Portland protesters, including members of Walls of Mum and Don't Short don't Shoot Portland sued the Trump regime over their violent and intimidating federal response to Black Lives Matter demonstrations. The complaint against DHS, its leaders, and several other federal agencies accuses them of violating protesters' constitutionally protected freedom of speech, freedom from unreasonable seizures, and right to due process. On Monday, Oregon Public Broadcasting reported Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler and Commissioner Joanne Horetsky asked to meet with DHS leadership seeking a, quote, ceasefire, an end to the deployment in Portland. On Monday, Milwaukee Journal Senatal, Senatal reported at least 100 police departments withdrew from working at the DNC after the Milwaukee police chief ended the use of pepper spray and tear gas in that city during demonstrations. So this is what's happening in U.S. cities, and this is all... Instead of Trump giving his speech and uniting the country, he's pouring kerosene on racial division. On Tuesday, okay, uh, this is another, like, whoa story. Um, There's so many of these, it's hard to keep up, but fasten your seatbelts for this one. This is the misinformation on the pandemic. On Tuesday, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube took down a video by right-wing outlet Breitbart that was uploaded by Donald Jr. and retweeted by Trump with false information on the coronavirus. The video was a news conference in front of the Supreme Court with several people claiming to be doctors who have worked with COVID-19 patients, along with South Carolina Republican Representative Ralph Norman. One doctor, Dr. Stella Emanuel, said, quote, This virus has a cure. It's called hydrocloxiquine, zinc, and zitromax. You don't need a mask. This is a cure. The video was viewed 14 million times before it was taken down. A spokesperson for Twitter told CBS News Trump tweets, quote, were a violation of its COVID-19 misinformation policy. Facebook cited the video contained, quote, false information about cures and treatment. 
Twitter also removed other tweets Trump had shared promoting hydrochloroquine, including an unverified account saying the drug is, quote, suppressed to keep deaths high so the economy can be shut down. On Tuesday, Twitter restricted Donald Jr.'s account for 12 hours for posting the video. Twitter said it did not restrict Trump's account in the same way because he retweeted what Donald Jr. had uploaded. On Tuesday, Daily Beast reported the doctor featured in the Breitbart video, Stella Emanuel, who Dr. Donald Jr. called a must-watch, believes alien DNA is being used in vaccines and believes in demon sperm. On Tuesday, the Washington Post reported a batch of text messages, emails, and letters. And this is, I'm sorry, I'm shifting gears to another story about the education department. So much is happening this week. Washington Post reported a batch of uh, text messages, emails, and letters by Diane Auer-Jones, a top aide to Education Department Secretary Betsy DeVos, showed she helped for-profit Dream Center Education Holdings. The Trump regime wanted to prevent Dream Center, which owns the Arts Institutes, South University, and Argosy University, from spiraling towards insolvency and, insolvency and embarrassing the regime for rolling back regulations that prevent these kind of things. A congressional investigation found that Dream Center deceptively enrolled students at campuses that lost accreditation. The closure would have given students a path to hundreds of millions in federal loan forgiveness. So that's, you know, the other kind of things that are going on behind the scenes. What this school did is it enrolled students even even after it had lost accreditation in January 2018. So in May 2018, the Department of Education retroactively designated Dream Center as a nonprofit in January. DeVos had supported Dream Company's foray into for-profit education in 2017, even though it had no higher education experience, the company is the arm of a Christian nonprofit that went, later went bankrupt in January 2019. On Tuesday, NPR reported Republican lawmakers are signaling they are against the Census Bureau's request for extra time to count amid the pandemic, despite roughly four in 10 families yet to be added to the count. Rushing to deliver the count by December 31st could result in inaccuracies in the once a decade count, which would skew it against people of color, immigrants, rural residents, and others historically underrepresented groups. So Republican Party at it again. On Tuesday, the Trump regime announced it will take steps to wind down legal protections for hundreds of thousands of immigrants under DACA, despite a Supreme Court ruling in June against them. And if you remember two weeks ago, Trump said he was going to have a path to citizenship. It's it's just hard to keep up. <laughs> That's why we're writing it all down. The regime claimed they still viewed the DACA program as illegal, claiming the court ruling from the Supreme Court left room for the regime to end the program, and it would limit the scope of the program while reviewing its legality. Okay, catch your breath. On Tuesday... Attorney General William Barr testified before the House Judiciary Committee, clashing with Democrats in an acrimonious day. Barr was noticeably dismissive and condescending to women and non-white members. Barr clashed with Representative Madeline Dean when she said the House waited 14 months for him to testify, saying, quote, you waited to talk to me like this? Dean said, quote, I'm surprised at your lack of respect for a member of Congress. Barr also offered a defense of his much-criticized conduct in the federal probe of the Russian election interference, 
railing against the, quote, bogus Russiagate scandal and claiming Trump did not act inappropriately. After, at the five-hour hearing, while Democrats sought to portray him as Trump's errand boy, Barr insisted he intervened in the cases of Roger Stone and Michael Flynn to uphold the rule of law, not at Trump's behest. Barr falsely claimed Trump has, quote, not attempted to interfere in his decisions, saying Trump has told me from the start that he expects me to exercise my independent judgment. Notably, Trump tweets about it all the time and makes public statements, so unless you live under a rock, you know what Trump wants. Barr claimed he was unaware of authorities moving Michael Cohen back to prison. Barr claimed the decision was mostly due to demands at the U.S. probation and pretrial services system, not the DOJ. Sure. Chair Gerald Nadler accused Barr of deploying officers to Portland in pursuit of, quote, political objectives. Barr claimed they were there to defend the courthouse from what he characterized as rioters. Barr claimed rioters and vandals, quote, laid siege to the courthouse, threatening the functioning of the court system, saying it was not at all a protest, but, quote, an assault on the government of the United States. Barr claimed of the Black Lives Matter protests, quote, Violent rioters and anarchists have, quote, hijacked the protest over George Floyd's death, quote, to wreak senseless havoc and destruction on innocent victims. On clearing Lafayette Square, Barr dismissed National Guard Commander DeMarco's testimony on Monday, saying, quote, I don't remember Captain DeMarco, who is the same Captain DeMarco who ran a Democratic candidate for Congress in Maryland. Barr also claimed in three-day, and and just in context there, DeMarco had testified that there was unnecessary uh, force used on peaceful protesters, contradicting what some in the DOJ had said. Barr claimed in three days leading up to Lafayette Square, there was, quote, unprecedented rioting around the White House. He also contradicted Trump, who said he was moved to the bunker because of the protests. Barr falsely claimed pepper spray was not used on protesters at Lafayette Square, but later pressed in questioning suggested it would be okay to use it on protesters who he characterized as rioters. Representative Pramila J. Paul questioned Barr about sending troops to Portland but not Michigan when right, far-right groups stormed the state capitol. Barr claimed he was focused on protests that threatened federal property. Representative Cedric Richmond asked Barr if he believed the election would be rigged. Barr said, quote, I have no reason to think it will be. But Barr stood by his public unsubstantiated statements that mail-in voting could lead to fraud. On election fraud, Representative Mary Scanlon asked, quote, In fact, you you have no evidence that foreign countries can successfully sway our election with counterfeit ballots, do you? And Barr said, no, I don't, but I have common sense. Barr said, we, quote, have to assume Russia is seeking to interfere in 2020, but stumbled when asked whether it was appropriate for a president to solicit foreign assistance, saying, quote, it depends what kind of assistance. Later Tuesday, Pelosi told MSNBC of Barr, quote, you don't send in people acting like stormtroopers into the scene. He should be answering for what he did in Lafayette Square. He was like a blob, just a henchman for Trump. On Tuesday, CNN reported, according to an internal email at DHS, the Trump regime planned to keep a federal presence in Portland through at least mid-October. On Tuesday, the New York Times reported two June government memos show a gung-ho 
federal law enforcement approach to suppressing anti-racism protests based on limited understanding of the demonstration's roots. A June 2nd memo from FBI Deputy Director David Bowditch demanded immediate mobilization as protests gathered around George Floyd's murder, declaring the situation a, quote, national crisis. Bowditch suggested the FBI could use the Hobbs Act of 1940, put in place to punish racketeering to investigate, quote, violent protesters, instigators, and insiders, and collect information with, quote, robust social media teams. The memo puts the protests into historical context of, quote, anarchist extremists and indicated, quote, we have low confidence in our assessment of the current protests and, quote, we lack insight into the motives for the most recent attacks. A second memo on July 16th, intelligence briefing by the Counterterrorism Mission Center said, quote, sustained violence against government personnel and facilities in Portland, Oregon, since May reflects the enduring threat. However, the memo cited, quote, we have low confidence in our assessment that the protest, quote, reflects the enduring threat environment in the region because we lack insight into the motives for the most recent attacks. On Tuesday, 21 bipartisan veterans and former DHS leaders wrote in an op-ed, quote, we oppose militarized DHS deployment in Portland saying DHS, quote, was never intended to serve as a domestic security agency. They added, quote, we have watched with increasing outrage the images of DHS personnel in military-style uniforms striking and using tear gas against unmarked protester, unarmed protesters and taking them into custody in unmarked vehicles. On Tuesday, ProPublica reported, in what is likely an unconstitutional move, Federal agents have barred protesters who are arrested from attending future protests as a condition of their release from jail. On Tuesday, the Portland Bureau of Transportation said the fence federal agents put outside the courtyard is blocking a bike lane, and the city is charging $500 for every 15 minutes it stays up, or $192,000 so far. Later Tuesday, a viral video showed New York police officers in khaki shorts and dark t-shirts stuff a protester into an unmarked van during an arrest, raising concerns of tactics used in Portland happening in New York. The NYPD said the protester was an 18-year-old, Nikki Stone, was, quote, wanted for damaging police cameras. Both New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and Mayor Bill de Blasio questioned why such aggressive action was needed. On Tuesday, Dr. Anthony Fauci warned there are early signs outbreaks are brewing in Indiana, Ohio, Tennessee, and Kentucky, noting their positivity rates are rising. This comes as Texas, Florida, and California start to flatten cases. On Tuesday, the New York Times reported an internal White House report distributed to states showed 14 states are identified as hotspots with more than 10% positivity and another, an additional 14 states, are at risk for becoming the next Florida or Arizona. Okay, so that story and what Fauci said about all the other states that are at risk, this is what the internal report at the White House that shared with states is saying. Then Trump goes out on Tuesday at his daily briefing and falsely claimed large persons of the country are, quote, corona-free. And California, Texas, Arizona, and Florida are, quote, starting to head down in the right direction, 
and will rapidly head down very soon. Trump also blamed protesters claiming without evidence in the wake of the recent mass gatherings in Portland and Seattle, quote, we are also tracking a significant rise in cases, both metropolitan areas. That's not true. Trump also continued to tight tout hydrocloxiquin, saying, quote, it's safe, it doesn't cause problems, adding, quote, he has absolutely no problem when he took the drug, felt no different, didn't feel good, bad, or indifferent. Trump also devolved into self-pity, saying of Fauci, quote, he's got this high approval rating, adding, quote, why don't I have a high approval rating? Nobody likes me. It could only be my personality. I don't know. So again, that's the second time in two days that Trump is expressing some sort of self-pity for himself that he's not liked. Asked about the dis discredited Dr. Emanuel um, video that Breitbart put up, Trump said, quote, I can tell you this, she was on air with many other doctors. They were big fans of hydrocloxiquin. I thought she was very impressive. Trump added, quote, she said that, she, that she's had tremendous success with hundreds of different patients, but I know nothing about her. When pressed further by a CNN reporter, Trump stormed out of the room. On Tuesday, NBC News reported that two media studies published in two new studies published in JAMA found evidence that COVID-19 can have lasting effects on heart health, which may go undetected in patients who are assumed they had recovered. On Tuesday, Chicago Tribune conservative columnist John Cass was moved to the opinion section after writing an anti-Semitic article blaming lawlessness in cities on George Soros spending to elect liberal prosecutors. On Tuesday, GOP Senator, sitting Senator David Perdue, took down a campaign ad with an enlarged nose of his opponent, John Ossoff, in a photo with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer saying, quote, Democrats are trying to buy Georgia. On Wednesday, another sitting senator, Lindsey Graham's re-election campaign posted a Facebook ad with a digitally, digitally altered image of his opponent, Jamie Harrison, who is black with a darker skin tone. So these are two sitting senators doing this. On Tuesday, the New York Times reported declassified U.S. intelligence information accused Russian intelligence services, GRU, of spreading disinformation about the pandemic using three English language websites. So again, Russia is still at play here. Trump has not punished Russia or done anything to retaliate. And here we have that they are, again, interfering, and this time with a pandemic, with three, and this time they're using English language websites. Intelligence said GRU is behind InfoRoss and other websites pushing disinformation and propaganda about the pandemic including amplifying Chinese disinformation that the U.S. military created the coronavirus. The effort was a refinement of bots and trolls used in 2016 to spread disinformation used by internet research agency and others. It is harder to stop the dissemination of articles on websites which appear legitimate. From early May to early July, about 150 articles were published on those websites, including InfoRoss, OneWorld, and InfoBricks.org. Russian intelligence also used a technique to spread disinformation about NATO against former White House official Evelyn Fakis, who had but would have been tough on Russia and was running in the New York congressional primary. She lost. On Wednesday, the Pentagon announced it will pull 12,000 troops from Germany. So this is, you know, we go to bed with news that 
that Russia is in again interfering in an election. They're trying to spread disinformation about the pandemic here. And then we wake up on Wednesday and the Pentagon announces it will pull 12,000 troops out of Germany. And a shakeup sought by Trump just 20, excuse me, 97 days before the election. Notably, such a move would benefit Russian interests. Shortly after, asked about the move by reporters before leaving for a fundraiser in Texas, Trump said Germany was, quote, delinquent on NATO defense spending, saying, quote, we don't want to be suckers anymore. Notably, Trump's rationale for pulling troops did not square with that of Defense Secretary Mark Esper, who said 5,600 troops were being moved to other European regions to enhance NATO's ability to deter Russia. Asked by reporters about pulling agents out of Portland, Trump said, quote, we're not leaving until they secure their city. If they don't secure their city soon, we have no choice. We're going to have to go in and clean it out. Hmm. Shortly after, Oregon Governor Kate Brown tweeted federal law enforcement was leaving, saying, quote, after my discussion with VP Pence and others, the federal government has agreed to withdraw federal officers from Portland. Governor Brown added, quote, starting tomorrow, all Customs and Border Protection and ICE officers will leave downtown Portland. Acting DHS Wolf said that some DHS agents would remain in Portland to protect the courthouse. Brown also tweeted, quote, our local Oregon state police officers will be downtown to protect Oregonians' right to free speech and keep the peace. Let's enter the Black Lives Movement demands. Shortly after, the DOJ announced in a statement that Operation Legend would be expanded to Cleveland, Detroit, and Milwaukee, adding the cities to Kansas City, Chicago, and Albuquerque. Hours later, Wolf seemed to back out of the deal, tweeting, quote, As I told the governor yesterday, federal law enforcement will remain in Portland until a violent activity towards our federal facilities ends. Shortly after, Trump tweeted, quote, If the federal government and its brilliant law enforcement didn't go into Portland one week ago, there would be no Portland. It would be burned and beaten to the ground. Trump added, quote, if the mayor and governor do not stop crime and violence from the anarchists and agitators immediately, the federal government will go in and do the job. <sighs> Heated language. On Wednesday, and I, and I just want to notice because it's worth, it's worth like reading Trump's words, we're going to have to go in and clean it out. I, this is the language that we have seen other dictators use uh, again, it's something Trump has used as well, talking about people at the border and comparing them to animals. Uh, but he seems to be doing that in Portland as well. On Wednesday, Politico reported amid protests, <coughs> uh, a new mandatory Pentagon training course arms Pentagon officials at preventing leaks referring to protesters and journalists as, quote, adversaries in fictional scenarios. The training course comes amid worsening relations between the federal government and protesters. In one scenario, DOD personnel are instructed to report any contact with the press to their, quote, information security office. On Wednesday, the UN Human Rights Committee, this is the United Nations, said that law enforcement authorities are obligated to protect and facilitate peaceful protests, citing Black Lives Matters protests in Portland and elsewhere. So now what's going on in our country is getting international attention. 
The panel noted that the International Convention on Civil and Political Rights requires the 173 countries who are signatories to allow peaceful demonstrations, not to block or disrupt them without a compelling reason. The panel also noted, quote, a failure to respect and ensure the right of peaceful protest is typically a mark of repression. Adding military or paramilitary forces should only be used in extraordinary circumstances. On Tuesday, in an interview with Axios, Trump said he did not bring up bounties on U.S. troops when he spoke to Vladimir Putin last week, saying, quote, no, that was a phone call to discuss other things. Trump called reporting, quote, fake news and claimed, quote, if, I had been, if it had reached my desk, I would have done something, but it never reached my desk. Reporting indicates this is a lie, and in any case, he now has been fully briefed and is still doing nothing. As about Russia supplying weapons to the Taliban, Trump brushed it off, saying we did that too, and oddly claimed, quote, Russia used to be a thing called the Soviet Union because of Afghanistan. They went bankrupt. On Wednesday, a federal judge blocked the Trump regime's plan to start denying green cards to immigrants who received Medicaid, food stamps, or housing vouchers in a case brought by New York Attorney General Letitia James. The judge cited hardships from the pandemic, writing the policy, quote, fails to measure up to the gravity of this global pandemic that continues to threaten the lives and economic well-being of American residents. On Wednesday, White House Trade Advisor Peter Navarro told CNN the regime is, quote, sitting on millions of doses of hydrochloxiquine, falsely claiming half who died yesterday would be alive if they took it. On Wednesday, McClatchy reported that the Trump regime and its allied PACs are pulling down television and radio ads in Michigan, a key battleground state, to focus on other swing states. That's a big story that got little attention. Trump potentially giving up on Michigan. On Wednesday, the U.S. passed 150,000 deaths, the most in the world, and 23% of all deaths worldwide. The U.S. also had nearly 44.4 million confirmed cases. And, I, and just notably, we're going to be talking about some states that are surging this week. We have four states in the United States that have more than 400,000 cases. Out of all the countries in the world, there are only five countries that have more than 400,000 cases, and we're one of them. So it gives you a sense of how highly impacted the U.S. is. We, we're 23% of all the deaths, 26% of all the cases, um, and it's not getting better. That's a problem. On Wednesday, Trump continued to play on racist tropes, painting a false picture of suburbia under siege with rising crime and falling housing prices because people of color moved into the suburbs. He tweeted, quote, I'm happy to inform all of the people living their suburban lifestyle dream that you will no longer be bothered or financially hurt by having low-income housing built in your neighborhood. In a blatantly racist message of excluding people of color, he added, quote, your housing prices will go up based on the market, and crime will go down. I have rescinded the Obama-Biden AFFH rule, which he did last week. That was to allow, to disallow housing discrimination. The tweets were sent aboard Air Force One on his way to Texas and were part of his plan to appeal to suburban voters, especially women, who were key to his win in 2016, but polling showed him losing them to Biden. Later in remarks in West Texas, Trump bragged, quote, 
People fight all their lives to get to the suburbs and have a beautiful home, adding, quote, there will be no more low-income housing forced into suburbs. Trump again stoked division and racism, falsely claiming, quote, it's been hell for suburbia, and telling the audience, quote, enjoy your life, ladies and gentlemen. On Wednesday, Politico reported Representative Louis Gohmert of Texas, a Trump ally, who has refused to wear a face mask in public, tested positive for the coronavirus. He was tested before a scheduled flight with Trump to Texas on Wednesday. At one point during the House Judiciary hearings yesterday, Chair Nadler chastised Republicans on his committee for refusing to wear masks. Footage showed Gohmert and Barr walking together in close contact. In a video, Gohmert blamed wearing a mask, saying, quote, I can't help but wonder if my keeping a mask on and keeping it in place that I might have put some germs or some of the virus into the mask and breathed it in. This is what we're dealing with, folks. Shortly after, an ABC News reporter said Gohmert, quote, returned to his Capitol office and told staff he wanted to inform them in person about testing positive, adding some staffers were already in the process of leaving. Gohmert later told Fox News host Sean Hannity that he plans to take hydrocloxiquin to treat his asymptomatic COVID-19, saying, quote, my doctor and I are all in. Shortly after, Trump attended a packed fundraiser in Texas for his reelection. Trump did not wear a mask after leaving Air Force One or at the event. Few in the crowd wore masks, and there was little social distancing. Trump then visited the Permian basis to rally oil and gas workers, telling them that Biden would not, quote, do too well in Texas on energy policy. Texas was surprisingly close in polling for what is typically a reliable GOP state. Trump then, in the company of four white male oil executives and Senator Ted Cruz, all without masks or social distancing, signed presidential permits for energy development. That same day, Texas reported 313 daily deaths, a record, and 9,042 9, new cases. Texas also reported more than 400,000 overall cases. Its seven-day rolling average of positives stood at 12.6% above the 5% recommended. On Wednesday, the Sun Sentinel editorial board in Florida wrote, quote, Help us out, Governor DeSantis. We're dying here calling on the governor to order a statewide mask mandate. Later Wednesday, Pelosi said all House members must wear a mask when in the chamber, other than when speaking, adding anyone who breaks the rules will be forcibly removed by the House Sergeant-at-Arms. On Wednesday, conservative youth group Turning Point USA deleted a tweet mocking people wearing masks after the group's co-founder, Mel Montgomery, died of COVID-19. On Wednesday, OPB, that's the Oregon Public Broadcasting, reported on interviews with 26 protesters aged 17 to 43 who said regular exposure to tear gas had caused irregularities with their menstrual cycle, including at least one who ended up in the hospital. On Wednesday, a former Custom and Border Patrol agent told The Guardian that the Border Patrol's elite unit known as BORTAC, who deployed to Portland, are, quote, the most violent and racist in all of law enforcement. Later Wednesday, Governor Brown told CNN that there will be a phase withdrawal from Portland, saying, quote, the good news is that Trump's troops, including Border Patrol, Customs, and ICE, are leaving the streets of downtown Portland. Brown added this was a, quote, political strategy. It was about political theater scoring points with their base 
and in quote, it has nothing to do with the public safety or problem solving, and quote, the vast majority of protests are peaceful. Later Wednesday, Trump's federal agents deployed tear gas from the roof of a federal courthouse on hundreds of peaceful protesters who are protesting for the 62nd consecutive night. On Wednesday, Vice reported, so that was all happening in Portland. That is continuing to escalate, although Governor Brown is saying that people are going to be, that Trump regime is going to be pointing out troops, but they were gassing them from rooftops. On Wednesday, in other news, Vice reported the U.S. Postal Service, under Trump's newly appointed postmaster, General Louise DeJoy, plans to slash hours at many post offices as yet another abrupt cost-saving measure. The U.S. Post Office has also planned to close some offices entirely with just three weeks' notice ahead of the election, likely in violation of federal law, but backed off after the plan was made public by reporters. So all this is happening, folks. We go to bed with Portland, with the coronavirus spreading, our country feels a mess, and then we wake up Thursday morning. The Bureau of Labor announced second quarter GDP of negative 33% annualized, the biggest drop in U.S. history, the second closest coming in 1921. During the financial crisis of 2008, the largest drop was 8.4%. On Thursday, the Labor Department announced weekly unemployment of another 1.43 million jobs lost, the second weekly uptick, and the 19th week of job losses in excess of 1 million. Minutes later, Trump suggested delaying the election, tweeting, quote, with universal mail-in voting, not absentee voting, which is good, 2020 will be the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history. Trump added, quote, delay the election until people can properly, securely, and vote safely. Trump has no power to unilaterally delay elections, which are held on the first Monday in November through a mid-19th century law. Presidential historian Michael Betchloss tweeted, quote, never in American history, not even during the Civil War and World War II, has there been a successful move to delay the election for president. The tweet marked the first time Trump has publicly suggested delaying the election, shortly after both Democrats and Republicans pushed back on the notion of a delay. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was asked by Senator Tim Kaine at a congressional hearing about the delay. He responded, quote, in the end, the Department of Justice and others will make the legal determination. However, shortly after that, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and Senate Majority Leader McConnell and other top Republicans rebuffed Trump's suggestion of a delay, saying the election should move forward, but with very mild statements. On Thursday, Trump also tweeted, quote, major China virus flare up in many other countries that the fake news was touting as doing well adding, quote, lamestream media doesn't want to report this. So this is another storyline of whataboutism this week. Trump saying, look at that country. Look how badly they're doing. Uh, in fairness, other than undeveloped countries, nobody's doing as bad as us. Badly as us. On Thursday, John Lewis was eulogized at his funeral by past presidents Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, and George W. Bush, and Jimmy Carter provided a tribute which was read. Trump did not attend, however. Instead, Trump tweeted and later called an unscheduled press availability during the funeral as Obama spoke. 
In his eulogy, Obama likened Trump and his race and his regime to racist Southern leaders Bull Connor and George Wallace, noting, quote, our federal government sending agents to use tear gas and batons against peaceful demonstrators. That's Portland. Obama also delivered a call to action on voting, referring to, quote, those in power who are doing their darndest to discourage people from voting. And without naming Trump, added, quote, even undermining the Postal Service. On Thursday, the Washington Post reported on a violent last night in Portland as protesters who were singing and dancing to celebrate federal agents' departure were subjected to tear gas and pepper sprayed by the agents. So, um, again, this is why you're hearing a lot of stories about Portland and what's happening to American citizens. I've never seen anything like it. We got a little taste of it with Lafayette Square and our country was outraged. What happened in Portland was happening night after night in much higher doses and much more prevalent. There's videos of violence, especially against women protesters. Uh, and then this last night, the tear gas was being thrown on protesters chanting from the roof of the courthouse. It's just unthinkable that this was happening in America. On Thursday, Trump tweeted that Governor Brown, quote, must clear out and in some case arrest the anarchists and agitators in Portland. And if she doesn't do it, the federal government will do it for her. We will not be leaving until there is safety. Local KOIN 6 had reported that Portland police cleared protesters from parks near the federal courthouse and the Justice Center. Mayor Whaler said there was, quote, part of the plan for federal officers to leave our community. Shortly after, Governor Brown tweeted, quote, I think we've had enough political grandstanding from D.C. The president plans to dominate the streets of America's city has failed. Brown said, quote, today federal troops are preparing to leave downtown Portland. We will protect free speech and the right to protest peacefully, adding Black Lives Matter's protests inspired the nation. On Thursday, ProPublica reported federal defenders and prosecutors in Portland went to court over the practice of banning protests as a condition of release, calling it a violation of the constitutional right to freely assemble. On Thursday, NPR reported at congressional hearings, extremism researcher J.J. McNabb warned about protest violence, saying, quote, there is a potential street war brewing at Black Lives Matter's protests. McNabb cited a dangerous mix of armed factions who are facing off with protesters and said, quote, there are too many guns. She also noted the pandemic, the election, and the economy could all be flashpoints. Now back to the post office. On Thursday, the Washington Post reported Postmaster General DeJoy's approved changes that took effect on July 13th include prohibiting overtime pay, shutting down sorting machines early, and having carriers leave mail in order to avoid delays or extra trips. The president of a local American Postal Workers Union charter expressed grave concern about the handling, the increase over the mail around the election, saying, I'm actually terrified to see election season under the new procedure. The president of that union, which represents more than 200,000 postal workers, called the steps, quote, vehemently wrong for Americans and the Postal Service, adding, quote, it drives away business and revenue. On Thursday, former GOP presidential candidate Herman Cain died after a battle with coronavirus. Cain attended Trump's rally in Tulsa, 
less than two weeks before receiving his diagnosis. As Kane's death was announced, Trump tweeted, quote, support patio pizza and its wonderful owner, Guy Calagiro in St. James, Long Island, great pizza. He did not recognize Kane's passing. On Thursday, Florida reported 252 deaths, setting a record for a third day in a row. The state reported 9,956 new cases, bringing the total to 461,000 behind only California. On Thursday, MLB's Philadelphia Phillies, who hosted the Marlins over the weekend, postponed their series with the Yankees and canceled practice after a coach and staffer test positive. The Marlins by now had 19 cases. On Thursday, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, that's the University of Washington um, uh, predictions that the White House has been using, updated its projections to 231,000 deaths by November 1st. Remember when Trump said we had 15 cases going to zero? We're now talking about 231,000 deaths by November 1st. It's not even the full year. On Thursday, Trump again attacked mail-in voting. And this is, again, the same day where he threatened to delay the election, tweeting, quote, must know election results on the night of the election, not days, months, or even years later, adding, quote, we are going to win the 2020 election, big MAGA. Later Thursday, at his press briefing, with more than 150,000 dead, Trump appeared subdued, noting the passing of Cain, saying he, quote, passed away from the thing called the China virus, which he called a horrible plague. Trump again falsely claimed, quote, a resurgence has taken place in many countries that people thought were doing well, citing a long list of countries, many of which were inaccurate. Uh, Trump, whose plan was to have no federal response in case reopenings did not go well, noted, quote, governors that were extremely popular are not so popular anymore. And then he again compared it to the 1917 flu. He can't seem to get that 1918 number. Trump also said it mostly kills elderly, saying, quote, think of it, half of the deaths, remember, tremendous number, half of the deaths come from less than 1% of the population, noting the average age of 78, seeming to indicate somehow these lives were dispensable. Trump also claimed Democrats did not want to open the country for political gain, saying, quote, the Democrats are looking at November 3rd, probably a day later, they'll say, let's reopen the country. That's actually how he thinks of things. Asked about calling for the election delay, Trump said, quote, I don't want to see a crooked election. This election will be the most rigged election in history. Adding later, this is going to be the greatest election disaster in history. Trump said the DHS has done, quote, fantastic job falsely claiming Portland was a mess and that the media was not reporting it right and referring to the protesters as a beehive of terrorists, notably the Wall of Moms, which we used as the iconic photo for last week's list, wore yellow. So I guess that's where he got his beehive of terrorists from. Later Thursday, Steve Calabrese, the co-founder of the Federalist Society and an important conservative voice, said in an op-ed that Trump might try to postpone the election, calling it unconstitutional. Calabrese said, quote, I had taken as political hyperbole the Democrats' assertion that Trump is a fascist, but this latest tweet is fascistic. 
and it itself is grounds for the president's immediate impeachment. He added, quote, we certainly should not even consider canceling this fall's election because the president's concern about mail-in voting. Many elections happened during the Civil War, Depression, and World War II. On Thursday, the entire federal appeals court in Washington agreed to take up a case involving Barr's decision to drop the prosecution of Michael Flynn, erasing the Court of Appeals' decision to dismiss the case. The ruling came as a surprise. Trump's Court of Appeals appointees Naomi Rao and Karen Henderson, a George Bush appointee, have been more than willing in most of their colleagues to interpret in favor of Trump. The appeals court will start hearing oral arguments on August 11th, ensuring the saga will continue to play out in the months leading up to the election. On Thursday, under an agreement filed by federal authorities in court, Michael Cohen is free to speak to the media and write a tell-all book about Trump while under home confinement. On Thursday, a federal judge sided with the ACLU of Oregon and issued a temporary restraining order against Portland's police bureau practicing practice of, quote, collecting and maintaining audio or video of protesters. On Thursday, Politico reported DOJ lawyers asked a judge in Portland to lift the court order protecting journalists. <laughs> Amazing. That's our Department of Justice. Claiming some of those engaged in violence at protests are masquerading as members of the press. Later Thursday, and this is, was a huge story. I mean, there's so many huge stories. I, you know, that's part of the problem here. It's just, we're all exhausted. We're all overwhelmed. And these stories, this is, this is fascism again. Later Thursday, the Washington Post reported DHS's Office of Intelligence and Analysis compiled three open source intelligence reports on two journalists who have published leaked documents in their coverage of Portland. The government system is meant to share information about suspected terrorists and violent actors. DHS officials told the Post they were worried the agency is exceeding the boundaries of its authority to please Trump. The two targeted were New York Times reporter Michael Baker, who wrote about agents not understanding the nature of the protests, and Benjamin Witz, who writes for Lawfare about a memo telling DHS not to give information to reporters. Later Thursday, the Washington Examiner reported Matt Albintz, the acting director of ICE, resigned. He was appointed by Trump in April 2019, but was not Senate-confirmed. It's unclear why he left on Thursday, and this was another big story. Vanity Fair reported Jared Kushner assembled a team and produced a plan for an aggressive, coordinated national testing plan and presented it to Trump and a White House team in early April. Trump wanted to downplay the virus instead of spreading mis instead spreading misinformation, amplified by Republican allies and right-wing media. He was concerned that if testing found cases, it would hurt the stock market and his re-election. Also, a member of Kushner's team said the White House noted the virus hit blue states hardest and, quote, because it's going to be relegated, relegated to Democratic states, they could blame those governors as a political strategy. So that's why there's no national testing, because they didn't want to acknowledge it was a big problem and hurt the stock market and because it was in blue states. So here we sit. The Trump regime also ordered 1 million Chinese-made tests that arrived May 31st via DHL, but were not added to the U.S. government procurement database. The client name on the bill was simply WH. On Thursday, Senate Republicans left town for the weekend without passing a relief bill, as the $600 a week unemployment benefit 
that was a financial lifeline for more than 20 million Americans expired. And then I pair that with this story. On Friday, the New York Times reported the day after Eastman Kodak Company granted its CEO 1.75 million stock options, the White House announced that the company would receive a big government contract. The Trump regime gave Kodak $765 million federal loan to produce ingredients to make pharmaceuticals, sending its stock soaring by more than 1,000%, making the CEO of Kodak more than $50 million in one day. But we don't have money for food stamps, and we don't have money to give to people who need to pay their rent. We're getting rid of that weekly check. It's unbelievable what's happening in this country. On Friday, but the American people know, (laughs) on Friday, an ABC News poll found two-thirds of Americans disapprove of Trump's handling of the coronavirus, social justice protests, and Russia placing a bounty on U.S. troops. In other words, two-thirds of Americans disapprove on all three of those things. On Trump's handling of the protests, 55% of white people disapprove. That's what's going on in Portland. 55% of white people, those are the people he was trying to get. Just 45% approve, 92% of black people disapprove, and 72% of Hispanic people. On Friday, the Washington Post reported Black Lives Matter-inspired demonstrations on Thursday night in Portland were peaceful and calm as federal agents left the city. See how that works? Trump was saying they were there to burn the city to the ground. His stormtroopers leave, and the next day it's peaceful. See how that works? On Friday, senior White House policy advisor Stephen Miller falsely claimed on Fox and Friends that, quote, nobody who mails in their ballot has their identity confirmed. Nobody even checks to see if they're a U.S. citizen. Miller also said of Obama's comments on Trump, quote, that was shockingly political for a funeral service, but it's also totally disconnected from reality, adding, quote, it's scandalously outrageously false. Now, talk about the irony. Some... Things are just so ironic or, or you know, um, hypocritical. Here's like one of the top 10 for, for the last month or so. The Hong Kong government postponed its election by one year, citing the coronavirus, sparking immediate accusations that the pandemic was being used as a pretext to suppress democracy. Again, this is the day after Trump floated the idea of doing the same. So what does the White House do? Press Secretary Kayleigh McKennedy told reporters that the Trump regime condemns China's one-year delay of Hong Kong's election, saying it, quote, undermines democracy. On Friday, Twitter banned former Ku Klux Klan leader David Duke, citing repeated violence on the platform's rules, violations of the platform's rules on hate speech. Duke, who is a supporter of Donald Trump, was also banned from YouTube in June. On Friday, NPR reported the Trump regime's new COVID-19 hospitalization data system, which you'll recall we talked about two weeks ago, was being moved from the CDC to the Department of Health and Human Services two weeks ago, is updating erratically and is rife with inconsistencies and errors. On the new HHS Protect Public Data Hub, three items on the hospitalization utilization snapshot have data that is over a week old. The only updated data is reported on what percentage of hospitals have turned in the required information. So this is like our fears coming true that Trump would switch away from the CDC, which is responsible typically for this kind of information and knows what they're doing to his regime that does not know what they're doing. 
On Friday, the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus held its first hearing on the Trump regime's response to the virus. Fauci, CDC Director Robert Redfield, and Admiral Brett Giguar testified. Chairman James Clyburn said the White House report leaked to the New York Times when we talked about it in the beginning of the week, the 14 states and 14 additional states, revealed a, quote, disconnect that seemed to be between what the White House is saying publicly and what they are sending out to the states privately. In an often contentious hearing, Giguar said it is not possible to get all the test results back within 48 to 72 hours because, quote, the demand and supply for tests, and we cannot test our way out of this pandemic. So we've been talking in recent weeks about the problems with testing, how it can take five days, seven days, upwards of two weeks to get back to test. And at that point, it's irrelevant. It doesn't help. We're talking about sending people back to work, sending kids back to college and to school. But what happens if one kid gets sick and it takes a week for him to get back or her to get back their test? How do you do that? You can't. And that's been a problem that we've been talking about since it was in New York in March And that's why the story in Vanity Fair is so important that there was a plan to do this, but they didn't do it because they didn't want to reveal cases because it was only in blue states back then. Fauci said he did not see China as a threat to developing a vaccine. He also dismissed the effectiveness of hydrochloxiquine, saying he has not seen a single scientifically valid study to prove its efficacy. On this China thing, that's been like a talking point of Pompeo and Trump and Republicans that evil China is trying to steal our vaccine information, which very well may be the case, but it doesn't detract. They're using it again as a straw man and as a way to to kind of draw attention to, well, what about this? Redfield testified he was not involved in the White House decision to shift coronavirus hospitalization data from his agency to HHS and learned about it after the decision was made. During the hearing, Trump tweeted a clip praising Representative Jim Jordan for attacking Fauci. He tweeted, quote, Somebody please tell Congressman Clyburn, who doesn't have a clue, that the U.S. has more cases because of testing. Trump repeated his false claim, tweeting, quote, We do much more testing than any other country in the world. That's, of course, not true. And it is, quote, used by the lamestream media and the do-nothing radical left Democrats as a point of scorn. I'm still not sure whether Trump doesn't understand this concept that you about testing and why it's important to send people back to work and school, why that's like part of that whole picture of the puzzle and why other countries it's been so effective that you test and then you can contact people and stop the spread. I, I don't know if it's his intellect doesn't allow him to understand it. And this week I'm starting to think that's the case. And it just is a concept that he doesn't understand, even though he can be questioned by Mike Wallace and Mike Wallace can say testing is up by 30 percent, but new cases are up by 180 percent. And Trump still doesn't grasp it. Or if he's just trying to lie, I'm, I'm starting to think it's more the former, that he just does not understand a concept that is not super basic. It requires two dimensional chess, not one dimensional checkers. I don't I don't think he can grasp it. Anyway, so. Um, returning to the list. On Friday, the Atlantic Journal-Constitution reported 260 COVID-19 cases were tied to a North Georgia YWMCA children's camp in June. Of the 597 campers and staff, 344 were tested and 260 were positive, a 44% positive rate. But again, that's that's the kind of thing that's 
you know, we need to be able to test, to send our kids back, to send people to work. Uh, Trump does not seem to understand this concept. On Friday, California passed 500,000 confirmed cases, the highest number in the country, with 214 deaths that day. Cases have been spiking since late May when the state started reopening. On Friday, Trump held his daily briefing in Florida with Governor DeSantis, who he said was doing a, quote, fantastic job. As COVID-19 deaths continue to rise and amid storm preparation for a hurricane in Florida. Asked about his Axios interview and not retaliating against Russia, Trump lied, saying, quote, it was never brought to my attention. I think it's another Russia hoax. They've been giving me the Russia hoax from the day I get here, got here. Asked about the health care plan he promised by today, Trump said, quote, we're going to be doing a health care plan. We're going to be doing a very inclusive health care plan. I'll be signing it sometime very soon. So just like that, Trump's going to do a do health care plan. Who knew? It was so easy. On Friday, Trump tweeted, quote, Pelosi and Schumer blocked desperately needed unemployment payments, adding it's, quote, not the workers' fault they are unemployed, it's a fault of China. Notably, the House that Pelosi runs passed a relief bill in May. Mitch McConnell, as we discussed, left town. On Friday, the Wall Street Journal reported James Murdoch, the youngest son of Rupert Murdoch, resigned from News Corp's board, citing, quote, disagreement over certain editorial content published and certain other strategic decisions. So that's a big loss for Fox News, and we don't know why, but eventually all things come out. On Friday, the Washington Post reported, according to new disclosures, Ivanka and Jared earned at least $36 million in income last year, at least $7 million higher than their income in 2018. On Friday, Brazil's President Jair Bolsonaro said he felt weak and might have, quote, mold in the lung after spending 20 days in isolation after catching COVID-19. His wife also tested positive. Then this big story breaks Friday night. And this is relating to Brazil, which is why I paired it with Bolsonaro, Trump's friend who loves hydrocloxiquin and loves to ignore that this coronavirus can spread and all the science about it. They're twinsies. Um, this next story I'm going to talk about got little attention this week. And the Ukraine gate came out of a story similarly in the list that that week got very little attention. It was in the list, but it was one of you know 300 things as it is this week. Um, so pay attention to Brazil. There's probably going to be more. On Friday, the New York Times reported members of the House Foreign Affairs Committee said in a letter that the U.S. ambassador in Brazil signaled to Brazilian officials they could help Trump get reelected by changing their trade policies. The letter came after Brazilian news media reported Ambassador Todd Chapman, a career diplomat, told Brazilian officials they could bolster Trump's chances of winning in Iowa if they lifted its ethanol tariff. O Global newspaper, that's Brazilian, reported Chapman underscored the importance of keeping Trump in office for his ally Bolsonaro. Estrada reported he framed his argument in partisan terms, but Brazilian officials rejected the appeal. So keep an story on uh, your eye on that story. There's going to be more, I have a feeling. On Friday, acting DHS Wolf directed the intelligence branch of his department to cease collecting information involving journalists and opened an investigation into the matter. 
On Friday, a federal judge in Portland proposed federal agents responding to protests in that city wear uniforms emblazoned with easily visible numbers so the agents can be identified if they commit abuses. The New York Times editorial board Friday wrote federal agents seen in army fatigues indistinguishable from far-right groups should be, quote, required to wear uniforms that clearly identify them as civilian agency. The board wrote, quote, many of these federal agents aren't easily recognizable as law enforcement officials, nor do they act like them. Even the military is concerned about the public confusion sown into society. Later Friday, the Washington Post reported that calm returned to Portland during the day Friday as federal agents withdrew from the streets, though dozens remained downtown to respond to further violence. Later Friday, Trump told reporters aboard Air Force One that he will ban Chinese-owned app TikTok from the U.S. through an executive order. Microsoft was in talks to buy TikTok. You'll recall TikTok is, was used by the teens to buy uh, tickets to Trump's Tulsa event and not show up. So he's had his little agenda with TikTok, but it's also another one of these shiny coins as people are dying, uh, as he's pulling out of Portland and looking really stupid for that. Let's shut down TikTok, something new to talk about. Later Friday, Trump continued to repeat his false claim, tweeting, quote, we have more cases because we do more testing. It's lamestream media gold. Trump also attacked Obama, saying, quote, he worked harder for Hillary Clinton in the losing Clinton campaign than he worked for himself. Now he's working with Sleepy Joe will be the same result. Trump also tweeted just before midnight and again threatened Portland, tweeting, Homeland Security is not leaving Portland until local police complete cleanups of anarchists and agitators. On Saturday, Politico reported Brian Murphy, who is the acting He was the acting DHS Office of Intelligence and Analysis chief, was removed after that Washington Post story about him targeting journalists. Reporting acting director Wolf made the decision. On Saturday, Alexander Vindman wrote an op-ed saying, quote, at no point in my career or life have I felt our nation's values under greater threat and in more peril than at this moment. Vindman added, quote, Our national government during the past few years has been more reminiscent of the authoritarian regime my family fled more than 40 years ago than the country I have devoted my life to serving. On Saturday, leaving the White House, Trump told reporters, quote, you build low-income housing and you build other forms of housing also having to do with zoning and destroy people that have lived in suburbia. Trump headed to this golf course in Virginia for his 283rd round of golf at one of his golf courses and his 376th day at a Trump property since taking office. On Saturday, Trump tweeted a clip of Fauci's testimony, adding, wrong. We have more cases because we have tested far more than in other countries. If we tested less, there would be less cases. On Saturday, the New York Times reported on the first day of school at our junior high in Indiana, a student who had been in classes and walked the halls tested positive. Everyone who came in contact with him was quarantined. So close to 300 items this week, one of the longest. Uh, And again, as the coronavirus rages out of control and Trump threatens to delay the vote, the story, I really believe the iconic story of these past few weeks is what's happened in Portland for all the things it represents, all the different nuances that we captured this week.
So stay tuned, stay safe, and stay vigilant as we close out the week, 93 days until the election. Until next week.